Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Follow Without Warning Podcast Season 3. Investigation Derailed with Sheila Waisaki on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Without Warning Podcast presents Season 3, Investigation Derailed. Come behind the curtain with private investigator Sheila Waisaki and examine a major injustice. Warning, the following episode contains elements that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. The investigation into the deaths of Katie River and Aiden Major by Berkeley County, South Carolina Sheriff's Office left me with a lot of questions. Listeners were also left wondering about a host of issues. So, so many of you reached out with fantastic and insightful questions that I wouldn't be able to answer all of them. But get settled in fellow private investigator and host of the Unlovely Truth podcast, Lori Morrison and I are going to answer as many as we can. Well, one thing that most listeners want to know, just getting in deep right off the bat, what is going on with the SLED investigation, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division? So that's a really great question because it's so muddy. You know, with SLED investigating Katie's case, it's such a conflict of interest because they were part of the initial investigation. So they can't really investigate. That department is off the table because they would be investigating themselves. And that is a conflict of interest. So you would have to get the FBI involved. We are going to be releasing the full audio of the sheriff, Sheriff Dwayne Lewis and Vicki Hall. I've had a lot of people reach out and ask me what he said, the full audio. And so in that audio, he says to Vicki that he asked SLED to investigate him and George Oliver. He didn't say investigate Katie River and Aiden's death. Just those two people. Of course, crowdsourcer Chelsea followed up with SLED and asked them what exactly is going on with the investigation. Interesting, a simple question like that should be very simple to answer. The things that we found out in that particular conversation, first of all, There was no record, written record. I know this is shocking everybody listening. No record of the the request. But the SLED person, and I can't remember his name right now. He's the head of the division. Good friends with Sheriff Dwayne Lewis. And so um, I'm sure it's going to be easy to find out his name. He said... You don't have to make a request in writing, which I find interesting in law enforcement. That's a. I do too. I, Lori, is that anywhere in the country or is it solely South Carolina? 
it's hard to say. I, I can imagine a lot of different jurisdictions that have kind of on-the-book protocols, but then also off-the-book protocols. And if you don't put something in writing, then that, that relieves you of some responsibility later on if it doesn't get followed up on because nobody can find it to know to follow up on it. So again, I feel like this is a shell game. They can't answer a direct question, is there an open investigation, yes or no? And are they investigating Katie River and Aiden's death? The only person that appears to know about the quote-unquote investigation is Sheriff Dwayne Lewis. It's not in writing. SLED didn't seem to have any indication there was supposed to be one. No one seems to be doing anything. I don't think there's an investigation. What you just said leads perfectly into another question that a lot of people had, and it it was one of my favorite questions because it's one I'm still puzzling over. Have we ever actually figured out if this is officially an open case or a closed case? We don't know if it's open or closed because Chelsea has called and asked, is it open or is it closed? What I'm finding is it's open because we're asking about it. But in January, when there was a meeting with an attorney, an investigator, and Vicki, it was closed. But now that people are looking at the case and talking about the case, it's open. So it's a shell game in that area, too. It only serves the purpose of Berkeley County Sheriff's Department. And that's all they seem to care about, not these victims, these three lost lives. Another great question that somebody wrote in with, they wanted to know, has there ever been a reconstruction of the accident done? And if not, is there any plan for one to be done in the near future? These are fantastic questions and normal questions. They don't have easy answers, though, do they? No case ever has easy answers. I think from my perspective, we're just not seeing the activity from officials that we would expect and that we have seen in other cases. I think I have seen cases with this kind of treatment before because they're ticked off at a mother asking questions. How dare Vicki ask them questions? And how dare her question them? And so the tone that they take with her the emails that they write her, they don't care about this case. They don't care if there's a reconstruction or reenactment or anything. They don't want to know the answers, in my opinion. And they are expensive. That, that's one thing folks have to understand if, if they're considering, you know, is the family wanting to do their own reconstruction. These things are not cheap. It, it takes experts that have incredible amounts of education on these matters and experience, and they're just, they're not cheap. You know, these are not always options for families. They've exhausted their resources looking into a million other questions that didn't get answered. So right now, there's no, that we're aware of, there's no official plan for a reconstruction. There hasn't been one to this date. Vicki was told there was a reconstruction done, and she was told that three different groups have come in and they have not accepted their reconstruction. So nobody's actually seen this? Yeah, nobody's seen any of the paperwork or documentation. And again, it's, here's my whole point on these situations. If they could prove that Katie committed suicide, 
they would be holding up the documents like it was the Bible. Exactly. Exactly. And as as our listeners are so great at doing, they've followed up with another question that, that dovetails real nicely here. Do you think that a train hit Katie? Great question. I believe that we're headed to that. Well, and there's a difference. I got to qualify this question. There's a difference between whether a train hit Katie and whether a train killed Katie. Exactly. So do I believe Katie was struck by any part of a train? I do believe she was. She came in contact with a train. Do I believe she was killed by a train? Right now, I do not. And we do have experts helping us right now. And, you know, when I take a case, and this is something I think we should talk about, we help the families beyond just doing a podcast to, to bring awareness. Right. We actually investigate the cases. Now, this is what I call a COVID case because yes. we haven't been able to go there. But we have people that have come out of the woodwork to help us with this case that are national experts. So if Berkeley County is listening to this, we got the big dogs looking at it. And another great question put forth by listeners, do we think that evidence from the train company still exists or maybe ever existed? And why has getting any kind of documentation or video evidence or whatever might have been there, why has this been such a complicated issue? It shouldn't have been a complicated issue. You should have just been able to say, hey, we need the video from the train. And we do believe there is evidence and a video. We believe that the um, train company, CSX, I think it was CSX that sent it to Berkeley County. Again, I believe if it proved that Katie had committed suicide, it would be on the evening news. Right. And we've just not been given enough documentation to be able to completely confirm or completely refute what exists, what doesn't exist. There's questions about someone saying something was requested, but then we find no documentation of it and we find no evidence that anything was given in response to that. So it's just, you know, you've said this before, it's a muddy, murky mess. Well, and if there is no documentation, it didn't happen. In every single class that a police officer takes, you have to document or it did not happen. Body cams now are great documentation. They didn't have it back then. So everything that was written down, everything, they rely on that. So I don't believe they requested things. I don't believe they followed up because it's not documented. I do believe there is a tape, and I do believe that the train company cooperated. Chameleon, Hollywood con queen from Campside Media, is a new investigative podcast where two journalists and hosts, Josh Dean and Vanessa Gregoriadis, unspool the story and active hunt the con artist behind one of history's strangest and longest running scams. This case has been covered by several media outlets over the span of many years, like The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, BBC News, Deadline, Vice, New York Times, just to name a few. For years now, maybe as long as a decade, something unbelievable has been happening. 
dozens of people from Hollywood's working class, aspiring trainers, security guards, makeup artists, have been flying to Indonesia on the promise of career-making work, key roles on blockbuster films. But there are no jobs. It's all a scam. And it doesn't just happen here. Hong Kong, China, Australia, the UK, around the world, ambitious professionals have fallen into the same trap. Over and over, dozens of people scammed, more than a million dollars lost. And for what? As an ongoing investigation, hosts Josh and Vanessa hope to figure out why. Subscribe and follow to join the journey in active investigation in catching the Hollywood con queen now. To listen to the show, just search for Chameleon Hollywood Con Queen in Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. So the idea was that we'd go hit this one town, like an hour outside of Jakarta, look at the hotel in that area and the location where they want to film. It didn't really seem like work. It felt like sightseeing. And every day, plans were canceled. Locations changed. The original idea was to scout a few days around Jakarta, then fly to Bali. But Dee said the schedule was in flux. We were supposed to take a flight on day three, and all of a sudden it was like, hey, well, like, we've got, like, we've got another flight that we're going to go on. And it's like, all right, but now there's a change fee. Can you cover the change fee? And the lawyer will process the rest of it, right? And now it's like, all right, and it was only, it was only like 200 bucks. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, all right, cool. And then it changed, and then changed again, and then it was like... Eddie fronted the cash for all these changes and incidental costs, fully confident that he'd be reimbursed. Five to seven business days, they said. Also, Dee started asking if Eddie could recommend a second trainer to fly over and join him. At this point, and like day four, I'm kind of like, all right, what's going on? I, just things aren't adding up. Like, just something's not clicking right, you know? As much as Eddie wanted this job, he forced himself to do a gut check. He was supposedly part of a huge production starting immediately, but somehow he hadn't met a single person from the crew. It didn't make any sense. Eddie couldn't just hang out in Jakarta indefinitely, waiting for this Tiger Girl and the Jungle production to start. And to make matters worse, the pain in his back, which he thought he could control, was becoming unbearable. I'm like, I need to get home. My back's killing me. I've got to run a gym, right? And I can't stay another week. But Eddie's a man of his word, not the kind of guy who walks away and leaves a mess. So he called a friend in LA to come over and take his place. He even paid some of the costs for the guy. Then, feeling like he was out of options, he got on a plane to head home. When he landed in Japan again on a layover, Dee called, and she was pissed. I'm like on the phone with Dee and she goes, well, Eddie, I just don't have a good feeling about doing this with you or anybody you've put me in contact with. And she goes, don't worry, I'm gonna ruin your name in the movie industry. Eddie tried to stay professional. He had been a good soldier. And when he had to bail out, he'd found a backup. Yeah, I was like, listen, I've done nothing to you. I've done nothing but respect. I've been over backwards. I've come over here. I've sacrificed everything on my physical body and means to provide you the service I promised you I would do. There's no reason for you to be acting that way. Eddie obsessed about it the whole way home. He couldn't understand how a woman in Dee's position could be so unreasonable. After that conversation in Japan, where she's like, Eddie, I'm gonna ruin you. And I was like, there's no way that this professional woman married to the CEO of Viacom is acting this erratic. 
Right, you know, like, you have gone off the rocker, young lady, and you are in left field, and you're not even facing home plate. Like, you're just gone. But here's the thing. Eddie couldn't just write D off either. Because what if he was wrong? What if being erratic meant that it'd all just blow over and she'd reach out the next time there was a job? That's the thing about Hollywood. The people at the top can really abuse the lower ones, almost with impunity, and they'll still come back for more most of the time. Look how long it took to catch Harvey Weinstein when he was raping those actresses. When he got home, Eddie called Andy and that other guy from the workout class, Charles. Charles manages actors, so his job is to be connected to producers and development execs. And he knew an assistant who worked for a producer who was supposedly on the same project as Dee. And so I got her and I wrote an email. I said, hey, I'm supposed to have a meeting with you, but I can't get in touch with Dee. She goes, I'm, I don't, we have you nowhere on, on the books. We've never heard of you. Something definitely wasn't right. Charles especially felt it. Here's where, for me, where, like, my, you know, inspector gadget lights all went off, is he forwarded me an email from Dana Goldberg. But when I saw her email address, I was like, oh, I know Dana really well. That's not her email address. So I called her. I was like, do you know anything about this? Do you know anything at all about this, you know, job in Indonesia? She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Not only do I know what you're talking about, is like, why are you calling me to ask? Alarm bells were officially ringing. Andy and Charles asked Eddie to send over all the correspondence he'd gotten from Dee. And Charles, who happens to know a lot about computers, found that the domain registry for dbackish.com, which Eddie's Dee had been using, was registered just two days before she first contacted him. He also found something in the NDA that Dee had asked Eddie to sign, the wrong name in the source code. I opened up the source code in Acrobat, and I saw in the source code Leslie Linka Gladder's name buried in that. Which meant the text of the NDA was actually ripped from another document, one intended for a different producer entirely. Specifically, the badass director of Showtime's Homeland, Leslie Linka Gladder. Charles didn't know Leslie, but he did know her longtime agent. So he called him. And I said, do you know anything about this? You know, and he said, oh my God, this again. As in, not this story again. The story of the fake movie and the wasted trip to Indonesia. It was suddenly very clear. That woman on the phone, the one who sent Eddie to Indonesia, who was supposed to reimburse his expenses, whoever that was, it wasn't Debakish. It was someone somewhere pretending to be Debakish. So I would like a technical advisor that could sort of safeguard the assets which is myself and, and obviously the project, and double up as a combat consultant for certain actors for certain parts. Eddie was dumbstruck. Career-wise, he was back to square one. The money he borrowed from his girlfriend's dad was gone. He had no way to pay it back. Worse, it was hard for him to see how he'd ever trust anyone in the business again. It's, it's not that I don't trust people now. I just realize that everyone in Hollywood is only out for themselves, you know? The reality is someone who's smiling to you, to your face, will turn around and cut your throat and watch you bleed out. But what was actually going on here? Vanessa and I puzzled over this for weeks. We kept coming back to that agent, the one who said, oh my God, not this again. How many other people knew about this scam? How many had fallen for it? And like, who was behind this? 
the more we learned, the more questions we had. On one hand, you could see this whole story as just some guy flying to Indonesia for a job that didn't work out. On the other hand, it really screwed Eddie up. Con artists trade on belief, and there's nothing bigger than your belief in yourself. In this case, Eddie's belief that he is a great trainer who should be hired for a high-paying film gig. Losing that faith, it just completely shook Eddie's trust in humanity. But what was the goal? Why would anyone do this? That's what Andy kept asking himself. What did they get out of this? Like, I couldn't figure out what they got. I'm like, anytime you're being scammed, they're either taking money or something from you. In this, he's telling us about this for days, and I, every time we're talking to him, I'm like, but, but what did, what they, did get? they get from you? Like, why? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We had several questions as well that were aimed more on issues of the major family. And one that I thought was fascinating was anyone other than Aaron in the major family interviewed? No. Simple answer no. And we could speculate for hours as to why not, but uh, we, we won't get into that. We'll just move on to the next question, which is. Has anyone from the major family reached out to Vicky or to you since the podcast began? No, um, no, on both ends. So nobody's reached out to me. If anybody in the major family wants to come on and tell their side of the story, we are more than happy to have them on. Right, because as investigators should be, what we want to know is the truth. So if anybody has documentation, video, evidence of any kind that can settle these questions one way or another, then we want to hear it, whatever that is and wherever it leads. And that goes to the same thing with the reconstruction. If the police actually did it and they have proof of what happened, we're more than willing and Vicki is more than willing and she can accept the truth. That's all she wants. She's asking one question. What happened to my daughter and my grandchildren that night? Well, speaking of truth being available to Vicki, I know one issue we had a few episodes ago was the issue of Aaron's cell phone records. They turned over a document that was basically a spreadsheet with different information in it. You and I both know that when you get cell phone records from a carrier, that's not the format they come in. So someone has has transferred information from the format they would have gotten it from, from the cell carrier into this document. So there's no way to know if it's complete, if anything perhaps got transposed or, or whatever. And so that, that was a big issue. And so listeners want to know, has Vicki ever received the actual cell phone records? No. And the fact that they turned over an Excel sheet and passed it off as a, an official document is shocking to me. Why can't you give her the full turnover everything? 
And as a little aside here, you know, we, we've talked about this a little bit on my podcast and a little bit on yours. Families don't always know what kinds of records come in what kinds of forms. And so it's very easy to look at something and say, oh, okay, but you need an advocate. You need someone walking through this process with you who can say, hey, I have some experience here. I know what those records should look like, and that's not what they should look like. And so then you know to ask. But grieving families, you can't expect them to be able to think through all of those things when they're just trying to get through day by day and sometimes even just hour by hour or breath by breath. Besides the family, sometimes attorneys don't even know that they could preserve the phone records or ask for certain things. And the reason we know we've done this so many times, it's just we have a playbook. You need to preserve everybody's phone record involved in this case. What I did when I saw the phone records provided by Berkeley County, I called the carrier because I deal with these carriers. And then I called an expert and I said, have you ever seen phone records that look like this? So yes, families don't know what it's supposed to look like. And I was taken back. I thought, well, maybe back in 2008, that's the way they provided. You know, that's what they look like. Well, it's not. So an advocate can look at it and say, no, that's not an official document. Or an advocate can say, you need to preserve every single person in that room's phone records. Right, because... Phone records give a lot more information than just who called who when, and we won't get into the nitty gritty of that, but it's it's important to be working with people who know what questions to ask and who know how to evaluate the answers you're being given. Correct. And you need to have someone who has experience with those documents and cell phone towers and pings. Our next question is from someone who obviously watches a lot of forensic files, so (laughs) good for them. That's one that I really enjoy as well. They want to know, was Katie and Aaron's house ever luminaled or their cars? No, they were not. And for anybody that that maybe is is a little new to uh, true crime land here, luminol is a test, is looking for the presence of what? Blood. So that's why you would luminol somewhere to see, has someone been bleeding in this location? And where, where they were. For instance, if there's blood in a bathroom, let's use that as an example. Was that the last known place that somebody was? I think it's a good idea to also, you know, put things in perspective. If, if you luminol a bathroom, for example, if there's a couple of little drops in the sink, Someone's cut themselves shaving or they had a hangnail or, you know, bloody nose, who knows what. But if the bathtub lights up like Times Square, then you've got some new questions that you need to be asking and, and some, some new tests that you need to be running. And that's the thing. You, you get the evidence and you follow up with, okay, here's something that's not normal. It's a mystery. So let's move on to the next thing that can help us solve that mystery. You mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, and I think it was even the title of the episode. You get one chance. You can't go back and luminol anything now. It's been 12 years. Yes. So when you go into a scene, you get one opportunity to gather evidence. 
And so you need to bag and tag and picture everything. And if you don't, then 12 years later, you're going to end up on 48 hours and a podcast is going to be talking about you. Well said. And you actually should want to, Lori. You should want to do the best. Show up at your job every day and do the best for the people in that community. Not go in and be a big, bad, powerful ego. From my perspective of of my podcast with a little more of a faith angle, as Christians, we're taught that you are supposed to do your job like you're working for God himself. That is the greatest statement I have heard. That's exactly true. Yeah, I I think if we could all keep that in the forefront of our minds, um, and and I certainly am not always 100% faithful to that. But, you know, when you stop and you think about that and you think, okay, I'm, I'm accountable to my boss, I'm accountable to the family, but I've also got to stand before God someday, if, if you believe the way I do, and I have got to answer for what I did and for what I should have done, but didn't. And did I let my ego and pride get in the way of doing a good job? Exactly, exactly. Maggie Freeling is a public radio producer based in New York City, focusing on mental illness, criminal justice, and social issues. Formerly a producer at large for NPR Latino USA, she is an adjunct professor at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. She was an NPR Next Generation Radio Fellow, Mentor, and 2019 Ford Foundation 50 Women Can Change the World in Journalism Fellow. Maggie was also a TV documentary host for Vice and Oxygen in the Disappearance of Moya Murray. The Innocent Project gives a conservative estimate that there are over 20,000 innocent people currently locked away in U.S. prisons convicted of crimes they did not commit. Unjust and Unsolved, a new true crime podcast from investigative journalist Maggie Freeling and the Obsessed Network tells the story of these people and these crimes. Each episode will focus on a single case. The stories are told through original interviews with the convicted person, their loved ones, lawyers, and advocates. Maggie examines the crimes, sharing all the evidence pointing away from the convicted person, and in some instances, presenting the case for other suspects. Unjust and Unsolved is a compelling mix of investigative journalism and true crime storytelling. Find Unjust and Unsolved and all Obsessed Network podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Maggie Freeling. I'm an investigative journalist, and I'm excited to tell you about my new podcast from the Obsessed Network called Unjust and Unsolved. Each episode tells the story of a person who I believe has been wrongfully incarcerated. The Innocence Project gives a conservative estimate that there are over 20,000 innocent people locked away in U.S. prisons. When I learned this, I sent letters to those whose stories haunted me. I heard back from almost everyone. They all wanted to be heard. 
And so on Unjust and Unsolved, I'm doing just that. I speak with those people, their loved ones, advocates, and lawyers, diving deep into the crimes they were convicted of and presenting the evidence that points away from them. And if it wasn't them, then who was it? Help me search for an answer. You can find Unjust and Unsolved and all Obsessed Network podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Well, a lot of people also brought up the same question, and it's certainly one that's on my mind. What are the people in the area saying about the podcast? What is the community talking about? You know, it's been very interesting. There is a select group that have started a, um, I don't know exactly when they started a change.org saying that Berkeley County and, and Rick Olick have done a good job. And that particular change.org, when you research and capture the IP to see who started it, it's not a person using their real name. So if you're so adamant that they've done a good job, why not use your real name? Why use a fake profile? That's very interesting to me. So that's one select saying that they did a good job. And most of the people on there, if you read it, are like, I'm not signing this. I think they did a terrible job. That's the first thing. And then there is a group that have called in and given us information. One person that I I was reading their email today, and they called the sheriff's department after Katie's death, telling them that they were praying for Katie's marriage. And the sheriff, his department blew them off. So prior to Katie's death, her Bible study group was praying for their marriage. They were having trouble. And that particular person, no documentation, we have it, but no documentation at all. Oh, That's a person I would have wanted to talk to immediately. Everybody in that Bible study group. And none of them have been contacted by the authorities. No, no documentation of it. It seems to be anything that fit that particular narrative did not make it into the official file. And so people have a place to go with me. They can turn in and tell me, what the sheriff did not listen to. And I'm getting a completely different picture of that marriage than what they put out in the public. My jaw is dropped. That's why we had that big pause there. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. I've, I've done enough of these cases with you and I shouldn't be surprised, but I think I think part of it is I'm I'm so hurt for the family when I hear more and more instances of balls that were dropped. Because we're not talking about, I mean, everybody makes mistakes. That's understandable. Resources are scarce. Departments are underfunded, understaffed. A lot of times they, they don't have the, the time or the money for training. I, I get that. But to drop ball after ball after ball after ball. That's just unacceptable. Well, now let's talk about what you said, because a lot of people will say that about there's not enough money in the budget for training or this or this test or that test. I actually am going to take issue with that because I believe if you do an audit of the Berkeley County Sheriff's Department, you will find waste. 
and you will find money to do a reconstruction. Well, now you've just brought up a whole new podcast that someone out there needs to pick up and run with. I think that's a little outside of our wheelhouse, maybe. While we're on the topic, here's another great, great question. You just, you have such amazing listeners. They want to know, what recourse does Vicky have against the police? And, and, and I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that, but I'm, I'm going to assume, as most people do, that they're talking about potential litigation. So every county and state's different, but there are always loopholes and there's always attorneys willing to help victims' families. And so right now, I think Vicki has some people helping her. I think Vicki has options that are in the statutes. Here's something that um, I, want, I want people to really understand. Lawsuits are great options in certain circumstances to get certain types of answers, to get redress, to get restitution sometimes. But lawsuits are hard. They can take a lot of money to finance, um, not only attorney's fees, but you've got filing fees. You've um, sometimes got to have expert witnesses. They take an enormous amount of time and energy as well, even pre-COVID, and, and now it's worse. Yes, there are some potential actions that, that Vicki might be able to have, but a large number of successful suits against police tend to be for excessive force. And what the public definitely sees as being extremely egregious and being more physical misconduct related. It's quite a bit harder to bring actions when you're talking about somebody's professional opinion of what they should have done or shouldn't done, because they can always fall back on, in, in my professional knowledge, I felt that this was the best way to go. So it, it's a hard road to hoe. I, you know, you and I go back and forth on things. Um, and I know it's shocking that Lori and I do not agree on everything or anything. So, um, actually, that's not true. Lori is so smart and great sparring partner on thoughts. But I know from doing this, there is a professional responsibility that they have to these families. Now, whether Vicki wants to go down that road or not, I don't know. I also know I don't back down and Vicki doesn't seem to be a person to back down either. If she's right or if I'm right, we're going for it. So I think that I think she has spent 12 years of her life. It was robbed from her because the police did not do their job, in my opinion, as a professional investigator. I will say even the major family deserved a better investigation than that, because today we're wondering who's responsible. Was it Katie? Was it someone else? And had the police gone in and done their job, we wouldn't be having this discussion and everybody could be living their life with the proper truth and evidence. I don't disagree that a lawsuit might or might not be appropriate. I just want to make sure listeners understand they're not a magic bullet. They're expensive, they're hard, and they really can take a lot out of you emotionally as well. And so not every family that goes through this really has the inner resources to deal with that. 
They might not have the financial resources. They might not have the emotional resources. I guess we've uh, <laughs> we've we've made a very long answer out of uh, saying maybe. You know, not, nothing in the law is black and white. And so does Vicki have recourse against the police? She might, but it's it's a tough road. But I think that exposing what she's been through has been helpful to her. And you and I both know we're not the last group of media people coming through. There are a couple people behind me waiting oh. to finish. And I certainly don't want to discourage anybody um, from litigating. I spent quite quite a bit of time in my career as a paralegal, so I was just kind of part of it. I think it's important for everybody out there listening just to understand what these families are up against. They don't have very many good options. They just have some options that are better than others. True. I think probably the one question that everybody wants to ask you, and uh, I don't know if you're going to want to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you had to take an educated guess, and for you, it's more than educated, and it's definitely more than guessing, but what do you think happened that night? As I always answer in my cases, I know what didn't happen that night. In my investigation, I don't believe that Katie took her baby and walked down a rocky, dark road to her death. That's as far as I'm going to go. Well, it's been so great to hear from listeners and to see their passion because getting people passionate, getting people willing to get involved, that's what cases like these are going to take. Right. And one of the questions that came in late, but I think we need to address it, is what can the listeners do? And this is where I'm going to say we have a campaign coming up. Look for the campaign. Join the campaign because it will be national and it will expose what women in these situations, and I mean Katie and Vicki, they're both victims what they have to do and how they have to fight the authorities in order to get help. I don't know what's going to happen with COVID, but you can get involved in your your living room. I would like to have you write your Congress people, but mainly South Carolina Congress and senators. I'd like to see a campaign going to them. I know several people have contacted them. I know we've been in contact with them, and they are very interested in this. They've got a lot going on in Washington, but they have advocates working with us. So please join us with that, because having the sheriff's department and SLED looking at the case is going to do nothing. But having a congressman or a senator saying, get this taken care of, that will do something. Well, I feel very honored that I've been able to to play a small part in what's coming up with this campaign. So I'm very excited to see how people respond to that. But you're exactly right. People can do something just from their living room. Right now, when you get done listening, you can share this podcast with other people who will be not only interested in the content, but willing to get involved. Then they can share. Support podcasts that tell the stories of the victims. You know, the top podcasts make a lot of money. 
Most podcasts don't. And so if there is a group you can join to financially support your favorite small podcast, do that. You know, the same with people on YouTube that are doing the same type of work, just in a slightly different medium, bloggers. Help those people keep doing what they're doing because public pressure and public awareness is what's going to make things change. Absolutely. And I will say my small little group of 200 volunteers working for victims' families, I cannot tell you how impressive they are. I have featured several but there are many more behind the the curtain that are not public and they're doing just as much work and they're helping every day Vicky and other families like Vicky. Oh, they're amazing. I I wish that that all the listeners could be on a Zoom call and and hear the passion, the concern, the wonderful ideas, the encouragement for everybody else on the call. It's a tremendous resource. So any of you that are listening that have been a part of that, you are helping change the world one case at a time. Investigation should answer questions, not muddy the waters even further. Vicki Hall and the rest of Katie's family deserve answers, but they can't get them without your help. Someone listening knows what happened. Please reach out anonymously and share your information. And be sure to listen next week when we turn our focus to who Katie was in life and share what she and River and the anticipating of welcoming Aiden into the family meant to those who loved them. If you have any information you want to share on the podcast regarding the deaths of Katie, River, or Aiden, email tips at SheilaWysocki.com or call 1-888-599-0008. Join Patreon and Crowdsource Justice with private investigator Sheila Wysocki. Without Warning Podcast, Season 3 Investigation, Derailed. Executive Director, Executive Producer, and Host, Sheila Wysocki and announcer, Tim Evans. Thank you to Lori Morrison of the podcast, The Unlovely Truth. Thank you to Danielle Birch, Chelsea Sarkowskis, and private investigator Jenny Moore for their boots-to-the-ground, passionate, laser-focused research.